Good evening and welcome to the Ashmolean Museum. My name is Francesca Leoni, I am the curator of Islamic art um, here at the Ashmolean, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome tonight's guest, Professor Tarek Ramadan. Professor Ramadan is uh, a professor of contemporary Islamic studies here at Oxford Universities, uh, and he teaches in two faculties, um, that of Oriental Studies and Theology and Religion. He is Senior Research Fellow at St. Anthony's College and Oshisha University in Kyoto, Japan. He's also Visiting Professor at the Faculty of Islamic Studies uh, in uh, um, Doha, Qatar, Director of the Research Center of Islamic Legislation and Ethics in Doha, Qatar, President of the Think Tank European Muslim Network in Brussels, and a member of the International Union of Muslim Scholars. He holds an MA in philosophy and French literature and a PhD in Arabic and Islamic studies from the University of Geneva. In Cairo, Egypt, he received one-on-one -on -one intensive training in classical Islamic scholarship from the prestigious uh, Al-Azhar <coughs> University with an ijazah, a teaching uh, license in several disciplines. Through his writings and lectures, Professor Ramadan has contributed to the debate on the issues, on a, ra a range of issues, such as Muslims in the West and Islamic revival in the Muslim world. His research interests uh, include uh, Islamic legislation, politics, ethics, Sufism, and Islamic contemporary challenges in both the Muslim-majority countries in the West. He's active both academically at, at grassroots levels. And he's the author of a number of wonderful books, of which I will mention just a, uh, a few. Uh, in particular, um, The Arab Awakening, Islam and the New Middle East, published by Penguin in uh, 2012. Uh, Radical Reform, Islamic Ethics and Liberation, published by Oxford University Press in 2009. By the same uh, publisher is also In the Footsteps of the Prophet, Lessons from the Life of the Prophet Muhammad, published in 2007. And Western Muslims and the Future of Islam, which were published in 2005. Um, he also has two books forthcoming, which we all look forward to reading, in particular The Essential Introduction to Islam, uh, Spirituality, Fundamentals and History, and Islamic Ethics, A Very Short Introduction. So without further ado and shortening this very long list, which I'm sure could go on for the entire evening, please join me in welcoming Professor Ramadan. Thank you. Thank you so much for your invitation and for you coming in. And I really want to congratulate you for the work done with this uh, exhibition here. And I think that as much as uh, you are trying to and coming to listen to this uh, talk, it would be also good to visit the, uh, the exhibition and, and to have a look on, uh, on uh, the, the in fact, the history and the symbols and uh, the in-depth of uh, what is part of the Islamic tradition. In fact, in the forthcoming uh, book that was mentioned, uh, Essential Introduction to Islam, uh, uh, that I, I wrote, one of the challenges that I put as uh, uh, the challenges facing the Muslims today is superstition. Uh, and then, as you can uh, you will see within the Islamic tradition there are many, many uh, uh, 
controversial discussions about what is understood as superstition and you will see and I will come to this during my talk explaining how do we have to deal with it from uh, an Islamic perspective. So let me start with an introduction, three main points that I wanted to make uh, about this. Uh, just to understand from where we are talking about uh, the issue and in which way we have to deal with it. And as we have one hour, what I will try to do is just to give you at least 20 minutes uh, uh, for the questions and answers, because I think that this will be uh, uh, even more important than my talk itself. So as an introduction, the first thing which is essential when it comes to Islam and wherever you go and when you start reading about Islam, there is one principle. And it's through this principle that everything is going to be connected when it comes to what are uh, accepted principles and what are non-accepted practices and things that are disconnected. And the central principle is what we call it Tawheed, the oneness of God. So that's the starting point. We start with this, and in any, it could be in the Sunni tradition, in the Shia tradition, in the Ibadi tradition, the three main traditions that we have in Islam, that we have Sunni, uh, that we have Shia, and we have uh, Ibadi. In the three traditions, what we have is that we agreed on this. The oneness of God is central as the first principle of Islam. Having said that, and, and as a consequence of that, two things are important that you cannot represent God in any way. No representation and no incarnation in Islam. By no way. Nothing can be equal to him. Whatever you imagine, that's not uh, the way you can define and portray. So you cannot have, and, and this is something which is very close in the Islamic tradition to the Jewish tradition. When you enter uh, 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 places of worship, there is no representation, no images at all. Uh, the oneness is, he is one, uh, and you cannot represent. And, and on this, what is also important is that this, the fact that there is no representation and no incarnation, it's also connected to something which is very important in the Islamic tradition, is that the direct connection of every individual, man and woman, to God. There is no uh, mediation, no church, no priest. You talk to him directly, and it's something that we have in the Quran when the companions were asking the Prophet, how do we have to talk to him? Do we have to shout? Do we have to whisper? How do we talk to God? If my servant is asking you about me, I'm close and I respond to the call of the one who is calling me. So it's a direct communication. To the point that the Quran itself, it's a, a communication with everybody. You read the Quran for all and it's a communication for you alone. So that's something which is essential in the understanding of the oneness of God, no representation, no incarnation, and a direct connection between the believers and, and God. And then, with this, this is the central principle of Islam. In all the traditions, all the sects, all the, 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 the different groups and trends, and, and there are levels of diversity in Islam. So let me be clear on this. The way I see it, from within, not from a sociological viewpoint, there is one Islam and many interpretations. So be careful with this, because you have people saying, oh, Islams, who are dealing with Islams. I don't like this, because there are fundamentals. One of them is 
the Tawheed, the oneness of God. But there are many interpretations and many cultural way of dealing with this interpretation. So one Islam and many interpretations, and among them, please don't reduce Islam and Muslims to the good one and the bad one. So this is a very old colonial way to deal with the colonized people. The good are the people accepting us, and the bad, the people are resisting us. So it's much more complex. In fact, Islam and Muslims are as complex as Christianity. So it's very complex. <laughs> it's very difficult to get the whole thing. It's a, very, uh, it's a, it's a picture and a reality where there, are, uh, there is a diversity and there are different interpretations from the reformist to the rationalist to the literalist to the traditionalist to the mystical interpretations, oh, many. So in one of the books that was mentioned, there are not less than seven different <coughs> trends within Islam among the Muslims, and not only fundamentalist versus moderate. So that's uh, an important point. So from the central principle, what we have, and this is important for our discussion today, we have a, I don't think it's me, hopefully it's not. Um, we have two notions that are very important when it comes to trying to define what is within Islam and accepted and what is perceived as within and outside and what is perceived as completely outside. Two words. The first, and it's connected to Tawheed, is a notion uh, in Islam which is the religious way Muslims are going to speak about superstition is shirk. To associate another entity, another being, or there are levels, and I will come to this, to God. So this is, in all our mainstream tradition, be careful with the way I'm, 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 I'm speaking, I'm not using orthodox. Because I, I don't think, having said many interpretations, that there is something that we can call orthodox in Islam. You have mainstream. Mainstream, which is what in the Sunni tradition we call Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that is, people following the, uh, uh, the tradition and the mainstream. Uh, and I would say orthodox is too a, 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 a notion that is not coming from within the Islamic tradition. So I'm not using this. We can have another discussion on this. But So what we have is shirk in all the traditions is perceived as something which is not acceptable. And you have levels, and I will come. So to associate, so to think, for example, that there is a God with God, which is the starting point of Islam. You enter in Islam, you enter through this uh, uh, shahada to testify that there is no God but God, no deity but God. That's the starting point. So anything which is going to go against this is understood as shirk, as associating, and then a kind of superstition as a consequence of this. I will come to this as well. And the second thing which is also uh, uh, connected to this, and is also important in the tradition is, and you can find this word wherever you go, and especially when you deal with literalists, they will always talk about bid'a, innovation. So you are making something enter into religion which is not be, which is not of the fundamentals and not acknowledged as being part of Islam. But between the trends that I was talking about, between the reformist and the literalist, we don't agree on what is an innovation. So, uh, for example, the Time magazine once called me one of the most important innovators 
innovators of the 21st century, which is great, <laughs> not for the Salafi. For the Salafi, the literate said that he told you that he's an innovator. So they, <laughs> so they took the word literally. So innovating here means bringing something within the religion which is not part of the fundamentals. But for example, the way I'm dressed now, for some of the literalists, is a bidah. Because the Muslims at the beginning were not dressed in that way. So they are, and for me, and this is why you can get the differences among Muslims, is I'm keeping the principle of modesty and changing the model depending on where I live. They are reducing the principle to the model of the past. So when you take the model and you think that the model is the principle and the principle is the model, it's bidah. It's an innovation. If you think about, no, the problem is, uh, is that we stick and we are faithful to the principle, but time flies and cultures moves and, 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 and uh, geography and time are changing. So you have to keep the principle and find a new model for your time. That's something which is different. So this is what I just said now. It's a reformist <coughs> approach. The other one is a more literalist approach. Why you get to get, you need to get the mindset here, why? Because this is going to have an impact on everything which has to do with superstition. Is when does it start and how are you going to deal with it? What is superstition? What is an innovation? What is uh, association or associating a being with God or another entity? So that's something which is, now we have the principle, we have uh, this direct connection plus no representation, no incarnation, and then uh, two words, two notions that are essential to get a sense of, in the Islamic history, how are we going to deal with superstition? How are we going to deal with uh, 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 other power or other entities when it comes to deal with the central notion of Tawheed, the oneness of God? Now. When we say, and this is the first part of my talk now, trying to get a sense of uh, uh, what are the principles and how things are considered from within. And then the second part will be on things that we find. Wherever you go, you deal with Muslims, you will find things, and you are sometimes very in borderline. Is it within? Is it outside? Who can say? How do we have to deal with this? And the different trends. So I will come to this in the second part of my talk trying to stick to the time. The first one, the first part is, when we, 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 we come and we speak about God, and we speak about the oneness of God, what is important here is, what do we mean, what do we understand, and in which way we have to deal with, I am associating a being with God, what does it mean? It means that what we have to understand at the beginning is, a notion that here we are talking about God's power. There is a, 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 a phrase which is everywhere in the Islamic tradition dealing with or translating in our life the very meaning of the oneness of God. There is neither power nor strength except with God. He has the absolute power. That's very important in our life because when you are looking at things, the way you are going to deal with them depends very often on the power you give things or people. 
So this is why you start and you can't translate this uh, uh, association with God. Now, uh, the first thing which is important here when you say this, you say the power is with God is now in your life, where are you going and how are you going to deal with powers? In fact, there is no deity, uh, there is no God but God, he's the only one, and all the power is with him means you should be cautious with all the other powers, all the other human powers and natural power, knowing that the ultimate power is his power. So, in fact, it's a liberation process that you have to liberate yourself from being scared of powers to come back to his power, knowing that with his power, everything is possible. So don't be scared with powers or human powers and come to his power and understand in which way you have to deal with, uh, with, uh, with him and in which way you have to, uh, uh, to deal with this. Now, from an atheist viewpoint, what is superstition? Is everybody who is thinking about any supernatural power. If you think about a supernatural power, it's superstition. For an atheist, religion is superstition. Of course, there is no God. What do you think that there, he can do? What He's not doing anything because he doesn't exist. In, in philosophy, my, pro my professor of philosophy in Switzerland was saying, theology is the only discipline which has no object. Because <laughs> he, <laughs> he didn't believe in God, so that's it. We closed the discussion, but we, we talk. Here we have something which is from a religious viewpoint and from an Islamic viewpoint, it's not that we are dealing with all the supernatural uh, 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 power or the supernatural uh, reality here that are dealing with this. So in the way we deal with, with it is there is one supernatural causality, only one. And the supernatural causality, it's connected to one God. So our answer to the atheists would be, no, religion is not all superstition. But from a religious viewpoint, we acknowledge one supernatural causality, God. Anything else, it's entering in the Islamic tradition into superstition. If you think that somebody has supernatural Power, it means that you are putting near to God, beside God, another entity with power or supernatural power. And this is, from the Islamic tradition, not acknowledged as Islamic. This is shirk. Shirk means associating. And you have levels. So, for example, the biggest level is shirk. It's known as shirk al-Akbar, the greatest association is to believe that there are gods, polytheism. But now you have other levels. It's for example, if you do something not for the sake of God, but with other intentions. 
So for example, if you do if you pray for him, that's fine. If you pray to be seen by others more than to be seen by him, this is shirk. You are associating your intention is not sincere. It's not pure. So what you, and, and no one in this room can say your intentions are 100% pure all the time. You always have to reassess your intention. But I want you to understand here that it's very subtle. That you do things for God, and at one point, for example, it might be that I come here to speak about God, being happy for you to listen to me. Shirk. You got me? It could be shit. My intention might be not so pure. So you have to deal with this because at one point when your goals could change, it might be that it's not only your intention but you are putting power in the other goals. So shifting the goals is also uh, could also be shifting the power and thinking that something can come from other powers than his power. So that's something which is in the Islamic mainstream tradition, something which is essential here, that you have to avoid this, the shirk at that level. So Al-Akbar, the highest level, the, the, the biggest one, and then you have the subtle one. And then there are also things that are subtle in the way you, you deal with even your rituals. One expression of shirk association is when your means become your goals. So you pray to worship God and you end up putting all the sacred dimension in, the, in praying. Not to pray to remember him, but only to be obsessed with the means. So when the means become the goals, you are shifting from, so this is also shared. So I want you to get this because in the mystical tradition and in the legal tradition, in the philosophical tradition, there are huge volumes of people talking about this, the subtle uh, distance that you can find between the oneness of God and shirk and all these things that are coming and uh, not helping you to come and to be sincere with this worshipping the only God and to uh, implement the understanding of uh, of uh, uh, the Tawheed. So this is association. Now what we find is the translation of this is when at one point you take the means for the goal and you take uh, and you shift the goals this is going to have an impact on your practices. So for example, you have a teacher and the teacher supposedly he has or she has to bring you close to God. <coughs> I'm teaching you the way you have to come close to God. If at one point me as a means towards God becomes your uh, reference and you end up sacralizing me it means that I was the means and I ended up being the goal. The Chinese Islamic proverb 
I'm always saying this to the Muslims because the Chinese is not really Islamic, but <coughs> you can have it Islamic. He's saying, when the wise mind is pointed out to the moon, the crazy one is looking at the finger. <laughs> and this is, this is the point where <coughs> you are shifting the goal. You're not with God, but you are with people. And then in many ways we have Muslims ending up sacralizing people and this is perceived in the mainstream tradition which is unacceptable. You don't sacralize and you don't worship people. <coughs> to the point that even the Prophet Muhammad in the Islamic tradition is a man not to be worshipped. And his friend Abu Bakr, when he passed away, said to the people, the people who are worshipping him, he is dead. But if you worship God, he is alive and he doesn't die. So you have to keep the focus on the ultimate goal of everything. Now, you have the Quran, the uh, revealed book. And the revealed book is the revelation that you read to come close to him. What if you end up in some uh, uh, culture and something, taking from the Quran and creating objects that are going to protect you from the evil eye, from the, the devil? So <coughs> you take the means, you read the Quran to be close to him, and you make it uh, an object that is going to protect you from the devil. Why? What you should think as a Muslim, if you come to the cross, that the only one who is going to protect you from devil is him. Nothing else. Nothing else. Anything else is that you are shifting the goal, shifting the means, forgetting the ultimate goal. So this is something which is in the Islamic tradition important uh, when it comes to uh, all what we have here. And it means also, as you understand, that by shifting, not only you take the means for the goals, but you give to the means the power of the ultimate goal. Protecting from the evil, protecting from the evil eye, protecting and everything that has to do with the good luck uh, charms and, and being protected. All this, it's part of uh, a tradition in the Sunni, in the Shia, which was saying, this is where we cannot go. And anything else is going to be shirk and bid'ah. Bid'ah means innovation at the center. Here we are not talking about, you know, innovation at the, the way we address. It's innovation in the way we worship, innovation in the way we practice. And then you can see now that uh, uh, in many trends you have this. So it could be very visible. You go to Muslim-majority countries and you see things like that. But it's very subtle in our life. The mystical trend, the Sufi, are very often coming to deal with the subtle dimension of shirk, the, the hidden association to God. Is what are you associating? And what are you first associating to God, which is your first jail? in the Sufi tradition is your ego. Your ego should serve and help you to come to, to liberate yourself from your ego in order to worship him. But if the ego comes between you and him, it could be that you are going to have to associate to him 
your own ego and you do things for your ego, not for him. So once again, uh, there is a small God within that you don't worship but you like very much. <laughs> Which is our, <laughs> our destiny, all of us, we are dealing with that. So the ego, it's, it's very important. And I, I, I want you to understand this because it's not only about the visible dimension of things, it's very deep in our spiritual journey. Having said that, now I'm coming to the second part and, 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 and trying to say, okay, that's all fine. And this is the theory. This is the deep teachings that we have. And it's important. This is where there are uh, different interpretations. Now, Muslims, it's part of our tradition, also believe in uh, jinn. And uh, here you have uh, genies or, or, or demons. And, and the specificity here is that the angels and I, I remember once talking to Dawkins. And he looked at me like this and said, you, with all your study, you still believe in angels? I said, yes. In the Islamic tradition, as in the Jewish and the Christian tradition, there is something which is the invisible. There is a world of invisible spirits and genies and demons and, and things like this. And then there is something which is part of the spiritual tradition. Angels are being created out of light and genes are being created out of fire. And they are like human beings, they can decide to follow the right path or the wrong path. To the point that you have, when you, uh, you in your life, there is something which is the invisible dimension and there is a density in the atmosphere which is a spiritual density, a spiritual presence that you have in Islam as something which is part of our tradition. So now, yes, we also have situation where you have with the jinn, good ones. The good ones are helping you, protecting you. And you have the bad one. And you also can be possessed in the Islamic tradition, and this is where you will see that from the, the mainstream tradition to the popular culture, here there is a line which is very difficult to draw. How do you enter in this? And how, for example, in African traditions, North African traditions, Asian traditions, the popular culture or the traditional culture took from Islam and added to Islam things that were not really Islamic, but part of the culture itself. And it's very difficult to enter into this. Is it, this is Islamic and this is not. So where do you draw the line? When superstition starts in the whole process and how cultures have produced not only literature, not only what you have here in the exhibition, but lots of stories around this to the point that what the scholars try to do is to come back to the fundamentals and to assess the cultures through this. So it's a controversial issue, very controversial issues and some of the points and some of the expression of what is a superstitious, uh, a superstitious attitude or superstitious per se. But there is something which is important is that yes, in the Islamic tradition, you can be possessed. And what we have, and you have scholars doing this, is ruqya, which is a kind of exorcism that is how do you extract and how do you help somebody to be 
uh, freed from this possession, from the jinn. So no one can tell you there is nothing like this in Islam. Of course there is something like this in Islam. And this is why in our tradition, and this is why in such an exhibition, you have things coming together, coming from within Islam, coming from within the culture, coming from different <coughs> expressions. And you cannot just sit down and say it's all superstition. So what we have sometimes with some literalists is that they are putting uh, uh, superstition everywhere while not acknowledging that within the tradition we have something which has to do with spirit and has to do with that you are struggling with other powers, but it doesn't mean that you acknowledge that they have ultimate powers, but they are powers at work within your own self. There are powers but as I said, powers doesn't mean that you are worshipping them, but you are acknowledging that they are powers, that you have to deal with them in order to liberate yourself to acknowledge the ultimate power of God. And the only one who is going to help you to liberate yourself is him, no other power. So once again, you come back to God to deal with all powers, so the visible and the invisible powers in your life. And there are invisible powers in your life. And from the Islamic tradition, this is important. <laughs> so, you have this. What we also find, as I said, is that today, just I was visiting uh, some Muslim majority countries recently, what we have, and by the way, not only in the mystical traditions, but also with the popular way of dealing with Islam, people who are visiting shrines and praying the dead in order to be accepted by God. So by the way, the Wahhabi trend in the 18th century, end of the 18th century, Abdel Wahhab, what he did was to come in the peninsula and to remove all this as saying everything is superstitious. All this is superstition, that you are in fact worshipping the dead and asking the dead for salvation. The dead or human beings have no power on your salvation. That's only for God. So you only worship him. So we have in our tradition, the popular culture, things that have to do with the jinn, things have to do with the dead people, and the scent. This is also something which is important. That is known as awliyaullah, the friends of God. So in the mainstream tradition, we acknowledge the fact that we are people of the highest level of spirituality. The question is, how is your relationship with them? acknowledging that they were very high in their spirituality or thinking that they have and they can mediate between you and God to the point that you go on some shrines in Muslim majority countries and you see the people worshipping and asking uh, the saint to save them and to talk to them, to talk to God about them. While the tradition, as I told you, is talk to, the, to him directly, and they say, no, I need his, he is better than me, he is purer than me, he is my reference. So here we have things that are at the, grass, at the grassroots level, but not only, by the way, very educated people in the very uh, deep Sufi tradition, people who are at that level of uh, uh, reverence and even sometimes sanctifying human beings. You cannot deny that. So the point is, I can, as a, a Muslim scholar, come back and say the essential is to believe only in one God. Now, how do you go from saying this to the way you are 
also trying to deal with people worshipping and uh, praying and having an attitude which is missing or confusing means and goals, giving some power to other than God and having or even worshipping in a way uh, physical reality or invisible reality the way they are doing it. So you have one uh, trend which is today very powerful uh, in, the, uh, in, in rejecting all this is the Salafi and the literalist and the traditionalist that are very powerful on this. But by the way, what I want you to understand is that the mainstream Muslim <coughs> traditions are rejecting uh, anything which has to do with all these manifestations. But still, it's there at the local level and you have to deal with it. One attitude is to say it's all superstition, we don't deal with it and we reject it. To the point, for example, if you go now to Saudi Arabia, in the name of not worshipping places and uh, sanctified places, they are even destroying places where our history happened by saying, no, we don't want you to come to the places because you are ending up worshipping the places, so forget about the places and keep the meaning. So that's a problem because there is a difference between respecting history and destroying uh, places and just by, uh, in the name of no superstition at all, which at the end could be another kind of superstition. <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking about it. And even more than that, if you, have, you go there destroying all the historical sites and they are building malls and, 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 and anyway. What is happening around the, the Kaaba today, the, 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 in Mecca, the, 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 the center of Islam is just to look what is happening, the luxury hotels, the malls that we have, and everything else should, so, so you can end up dealing with capitalism and spending money, but anything which has to do with the memory has to be destroyed because we don't want we don't want worshipping uh, other than God and anything that has to do with the, uh, the places. There is something which is a deep problem here in the way the literalists are dealing with popular culture. How do we deal with this? So you can be strict on the principles, but you have to understand from where the people are coming, in which way they are translating their spiritual things, and in which way, for example, you end up, how are you going to teach the people be careful, a teacher is a teacher, is not somebody to worship. So you cannot just say it's shirk, it's bid'ah, and you put them outside Islam, because for many, all the people who are doing this are outside Islam. So go now to African countries and look at the popular culture. North African country, look at the, the popular culture. Go to Egypt, for example, you have Hussein, you have all the people coming, and there is an attitude which is problematic from an is a strict Islamic perspective, but still this is the popular way the people are coming to religion. How do you deal with it and you educate people and you deal with the expression of uh, all the things here uh, that we have? And yes, we also have a problem in the popular, and not only in the popular culture, even in the West even with Muslims leaving, uh, uh, um, uh, even in, in, in the United States or European countries, we have this perception that somebody can put a, a spell on you, so you are, 
you have a problem somewhere. There is somebody somewhere. And you end up having a de-responsibilized way of dealing with problems. If I have this problem with my husband or my wife, or it's coming from them, I know the family there. So I'm not joking. That's, I'm dealing with this day in, day out. People saying, there is a gin. There is a gin in the house. And it's coming from there. They are just uh, putting a spell on us. So we have to deal with this, this, the reality of this, because this is where it's very difficult to see what is coming from the tradition with the jinn and what is coming from the popular culture, which is superstition here. And you have to deal with this. Having said all this, you can see that it's, it's a complex reality between the principles and the reality. And in our history, and I will end with this just to give you the, the, the time uh, to, uh, uh, to deal with this, uh, what is important for me is that, for example, for some, this exhibition is completely against the fundamentals of Islam because it's just talking about uh, superstition. So, in fact, we should not even talk about it because it's distorting Islam from within, which I heard this by somebody telling me, how come you can be involved in this? This is destroying Islam. It's not destroying Islam. It's dealing with Muslims. It's the reality. And even more than that is that with this tradition that we have to face, it's the creativity of the Islamic societies and the Islamic cultures. The diversity is part of this, and it's part of something which was the cre the, 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 our relationship with creativity, with arts, and production of meaning in our society. So we cannot just come with the principles and forget the Muslims, and forget our history, and forget the contribution of Islam, and in which way these were manifested in our tradition. Now, it doesn't mean that you agree, but it means that you try to understand. And you are try to understand in which way this could be counterproductive. Because at the end, if you are obsessed with supernatural causality in your life, and if you believe in God, thinking that there are other causalities, and at the end you de-responsibilize yourself, and you end up worshiping human beings, and for example, in mystical tradition, you have people having, uh, worshiping their leader or their uh, scholars in a way which is really problematic. So you have to deal with this. But it doesn't mean that you can reject the artistic production, the cultural production, the richness and the wealth of all these societies. Now we have to deal with this. So how can you keep the richness without betraying the principles? That's the question of today, and I would say that this is why I wasn't straight away dealing with this exhibition, coming to talk about this. This is for me, it's essential, because at the same time, you deal with reality, and you try to remain faithful to a principle, is to free yourself to, from any power, saying that if it's he, he has the only power at the end of the day, don't be scared of any other power. You have the means to liberate yourself to be free and to help humanity to remain free as well. So that's the introduction to our discussion this evening. Thank you.